one day in class, I realized that it was almost towards the middle of a semester and I hadn't talked a lot. And, you know, being Nigerian, I'm always very goal-oriented, like 20 points for discussion and I haven't talked a lot. Okay, let me start talking in class. So one day I started to open my mouth and it was about healthcare system. <laughs> the professor was about talking about how the healthcare system in the U.S. is better in this area. And I remember uh, I watched the late night show and they talked about Canadian healthcare system in this particular area. So I argued against his points. But people looked at me like, huh, that's a good point. And I had people like, you know, agreeing with me. But my goodness, Nancy, afterwards, I just went to the ground to open up and swallow me. I felt like I had argued with my professor. And at that very day, I was going to be expelled from school. So I walked up to him and said, Dr. Dr. Lawson, I'm so sorry. It felt like I was going against you in class. I didn't mean to sound that way. I felt like I was being argument. You know how you feel like you've disrespected your... Yeah. Yeah. He looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I actually enjoyed you. I've been waiting for you to talk about that in class. And I brought up that point because you had argued about that in your essay. And I wanted to, you know, to articulate that to the whole of the class to hear. And I would like for you to, you know, um, talk more in class because I think you have a wonderful perspective. I'd like to hear your voice more. As a matter of fact, would you like for us to meet over coffee and talk about some of your research ideas? And by the way, call me Ken. I'm like, Ken. Ken, Ken. No, I'm not calling you by your first name. It's doctor. I'm calling you by your full name. And that was it. That gave me the, oh my gosh, I flew, I flew, I flew like a bird with that. Born and raised in the motherland, chasing a better life, story of an immigrant. Hello, family. You are listening to Concrete Pastures. I am Nancy Mulemwasisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a platform to reach out to my fellow immigrants and dreamers. The goal is to provide a space for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We discuss issues that are important to us in the diaspora. We celebrate the joys, the laughs, the bravery that being an immigrant brings. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We appreciate your support. To all of our new listeners, welcome to the family. As you listen, you can now support us by downloading our app for free. We've made it easy. I did promise we have a lot of exciting things coming. This is one of them. To all of our Apple users, just bear with me. Hang in there for me, okay? It's coming. The app is coming. We're working on it as of now. Uh, it's only Google Play. You can download the app from Google Play. Android users, please share it, rate the app, leave us a review. We love hearing from you. And while you are there, feel free to give us a donation. Feel free to buy our merchandise. When you buy the merchandise, guys, 50% of the proceedings go to our veteran who actually makes the merchandise. And then 50% goes to our community that we support. Concrete Pastures, as you know, is all about giving back. So while you're there, let us know. You have a whole library, Concrete Pastures, our YouTube channel, our website, our social media. So while you are there, feel free, follow us, share everything. 
a huge shout out to everybody who's been sharing the episode. I, I appreciate you guys. This has been an amazing season so far. I'm so excited and humbled by your love and your support that you continue to support this podcast. Thank you to Miss Jessica Mwanza for listening to Once Upon a Time. You left us a review. So grateful. This episode took me back to my childhood. I was oh, reminiscing a lot of my childhood while I was uh, recording this episode. So thank you for leaving us a review. We appreciate you. Um, on today's episode, I'm so excited. My girl, we did a swap and the episode is already out on her platform. So if you haven't gotten a chance, if you don't follow us on social media, please do post a lot on our social media. And if I go on somebody else's platform, we normally would share it on there. I don't think you'll find it on our platform in our library. However, you will find it on our social media. And you can get to listen. Sometimes I do share things that I don't share on our platform. Again, our chapters are big. <laughs> My chapter is a lot. So I do get to share things that I haven't shared also on here. So my story continues. Please take a listen to her platform. Her name is Mo Sibo. I met her in our group, Africana Woman. And from the first day I met her, she was my friend. She didn't even know. She spoke. As soon as she spoke, I don't know what she hit in me, but it was just like, I, uh, she's going to be my friend. So in my book, she's my friend. She doesn't even know. <laughs> oh, I recently heard her story also on My Girl, Chulu, uh, Africana Woman's platform. Guys, take a listen to her story. It's so powerful. You definitely take away something from her story. And I truly wanted to bring her on, on here, uh, Concrete Pastures family. This way she can pour into our, our community with her story on the other side. So we're going to be touching on immigration, child trauma, and just her life in general in America, in the U.S. of A. May I introduce you to this woman? Oh my God. Mo Sebo describes herself as a Nigerian-born, Korean-speaking, and a wandering intellectual. Her unique perspective is derived from her experience growing up in Nigeria to now living in the U.S. Learning and speaking Korean and enriched by the adventures her travels have brought on. Her podcast, the Mo Sebo Podcast, launched 2018 and is available across several platforms for podcasts, including iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and has reached over 80,000 people in more than 90 countries. That's an amazing accomplishment. As a podcast host, her raison d'etre is that there's a lot more that binds us than separates us. So through her platform, she strives to showcase that same but different thread that runs through us all by sharing stories that promote culture curiosity among people towards creating a better world. Mo Sibo is also an assistant professor of pharmacy and health economics and outcome researcher who conducts research in cancer and lupus disparities and quality of life. 
To learn more about my girl, Miss Sibyl, visit her website, www.mosibyl.com. Welcome, my sister. I am so excited to have you here more. That's Congratulations it. Congratulations on all it. your achievements. Oh, okay? thank you. Thank you. So you were talking about how the first time you met, you you said you were I felt the same about you too. And it's funny oh. enough how I think that day your video wasn't on. For whatever reason, our videos wasn't on. But I think it was something about your voice and your person. And then when you talked about your podcast, you know, people come on that platform that we I bought a, a member of to share you know this is my podcast when it's first joined i don't sometimes yeah. have the liberty to check the podcast but by the time you told me uh, concrete pastures immigration stories ha, that's my person you know so let me just oh. say back to you i love what you do i love your person and i couldn't even love you more even when i listened to your story last week about you know your recent episode oh. i'm like you know you talk about concrete pastures you're like even though you've gone through a lot of hard stuff yeah, like that little weed or that little flower that blooms from concrete, you know, you're still so beautiful. You've been affected by so much, but you've, 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 you've not let that, you know, kind of change your essence. And it shines through your beautiful spirit, your your tenderness, but your strength as well. So thank you so much. And I love you too. Hi, friend. <laughs> ah, hi, friend. I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know how oh Africans, we can kind of, we kind of keep doing that. Thank you. Thank you. My thank you. Thanks you. <laughs> Do you know? Do you, it was on your episode. I think I was listening to one of the episodes on your platform. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think you're speaking to someone from Africa also. Oh, oh, and yeah. you kept talking about the thank you. I'm like, yes, that's me. I say a lot of thank yous. A lot. <laughs> my, my American friend, um, she, she called me out on it recently. So she wanted, she's a missionary. So we donated to her stuff. She sent a thank you card. And I thanked her for the thank you card. She goes, more. You don't have to thank me for the thank you card for something you did. <laughs> yeah, I think the madness has to end here, right? Thank you for reminding me. And then she goes, you say thank you again. I'm like, yeah. We're Africans, you know. <laughs> I think it's, it's the respect that yes, comes with it, it, it the it culture. Is, it is. We have a lot of respect. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, talking about culture, talking about home and being African, how was it growing up in Nigeria? I'm getting a lot of Nigerians. You know, you know what? I've also been getting people from you know Zambia and Zimbabwe on my podcast. As a matter of fact, hey. my current assistant is from Zambia as well. I mean, this is just a sign. We need to do more Pan-African stuff. Growing up in Nigeria, I mean, as you know, we are quite the people. Um, well, I grew up from a very, very humble background. And as mm-hmm. I was listening to your own story, um, Nancy, I could draw some parallels from my, so my story as well. Now, um, my parents were together. But we live very, very humbly. My so my parents, my parents had me out of wedlock, and as you can imagine, that was a big issue, especially because my mom came from a very ultra Christian, you know, household, and she got pregnant just by one time. Only well, takes one time, people. And I, 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 I came out of that, and so they had to form their family overnight. It was kind of rushed, and you know, all of those societal pressure and just the. My mom went through a lot, and she's someone that is very introvertish. I mean, she can walk into a room. You might not even notice her, but she's very powerful in the sense of her strength. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just like her in many areas. I just, I'm just louder. That's just the only difference. 
but my mom even i mean she she was a trained engineer and usually when she would go to her site she would be the only female working there in her class she was one of the few females in her class so she's really done she set like a um a standard for me my dad is also um very vivacious so i get like the more extroverted part of me from my dad he's the life of the party very loyal to his friends he will go to the moon to celebrate i mean they are having a party in the moon he'll go there like his friends love him and He's a people person and he deeply loves people, you know. So um, those are my parents. I'm the first of three kids. I have two brothers. Um, my dad was very busy, you know, um, like every Nigerian man of those age. For them, love was just putting food on the table. And I grew very sensitive. Um, I felt like I would have used more time, you know, to have my dad sit down with me and just, you know, talk and all that. But we, there was never much of that. But he was quite loud in other areas. My dad was very strict, you know, um, spankings and just you know corporal punishment so i internalized that as you know i wasn't wanted around because growing up i could sense that my family was different we didn't have like family pictures we didn't have like anniversaries being celebrated and then when i was eight i was sent to a boarding school like you i remember you talked about yours and i was there for um, six years and that shaped my life but I always had that daddy size hole and it wasn't until I was in my thirties that I, you know, resolved things with my dad and I just wrote him a letter that looking back now, I'm glad I did, even though he didn't like it at first, it kind of like disrupted him and it, it really caused a lot of issues in the family. But all of that was just to make everything, you know, work out well. But um, I also grew up interrupted in the sense that I experienced some childhood drama as a kid. Um, I was molested by a neighbor. And I didn't really understand what that meant. And because I was also trying to protect my mom, I wasn't open to her. And that festered into a lot of things. But um, it was on, on I turned 33, so 30 years later, that I finally had the courage to tell her that mom, this was what happened. Because I felt like our relationship was affected by that because I was not always very open about so many things. And so that's how I grew up. But um, I mean, I grew up really rough, um, Nancy. Like our neighborhood wasn't quite the best, but my parents put everything they had into our education. Is why I can sit in front of a mic and string words together in English. Um, and I'm very, very thankful for that sacrifice because without them, I wouldn't be here today. Wow. <laughs> um, listen, there's a lot of things that align with my life as well that you've just mentioned, I like you said. Mm -hmm. That they are very parallel. Oh my gosh, it, it's this, this. is why I was getting interviewed on a radio station, and he asked me about what Coffee Pushes is about and what you know we do here. So one of the responses that I gave was, "We experience life at different times. We all experience the same things." but we experience it at different times. This is where we can relate and we can see each other through our experiences. And you sitting here just brought that, me back to that moment of the response that I gave. I'm like, it's so, it just makes us as humans that we can relate to one another in that way. Oh, yeah. I see why I liked you from the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, you're so right about experiencing life in different... But we, I mean, life still happens to all of us, right? Yeah. Well, it does. It, it definitely does. When did you acknowledge? Like, it's sometimes you can go through something mm -hmm. and you don't really acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. You either, like, put it somewhere. Compatibilize your, your life, yeah, yeah. Yes. And then also don't recognize it as trauma. Because some people, sometimes, they don't recognize going through trauma as trauma. 
when did you realize that that was trauma for you? <sighs> Man, I think even talking now, I might sound like somebody that's, you know, has their life all together. I mean, it took a while. You, you kind of know you've been traumatized, right? You kind of know. Yeah. Even though you might not have the words for it, like, oh, this is PTSD. This is like a, your brain going through that pattern. Like, you smell something, you see something, somebody says something, or they walk at you in a particular way, and you're, you're triggered all over again. Um, mm. I think in going back now, the signs were there, right? You know, I used to bite my nails a lot. That was a sign of anxiety. Um, I had body image issues growing up. I started dieting when I was like seven or eight. And there was time my mom even like, you know, stopped me from going to buy. I would save up my pocket money and go buy Swedish beaters. Cause I heard if you take Swedish beaters, you lose weight. Yeah. I started doing that when I was like eight or nine. Um, what else again? I, I was, I, 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 I was wetting the bed until I was like, what, nine or 10. I mean, so there were, there were signs there. Um, but I've always, there's always, you carry it around your body in the sense that you feel different from your peers, right? Like your moment of happiness are always punctuated by when is the shoe going to drop next? And I think it was when I left Nigeria and I came to the U.S. and therapy was offered to me that I realized that why do I need therapy? Because people would tell I was a positive person, you know, I... I held on for so long in the sense that I wasn't bleeding on others that didn't hurt me. I had, uh, I would perform in the sense that I had masks for different places. At school, I was a superstar, you know, um, doing very well and, you know, winning all the prizes. At home, I was different. Church, I was different. But when I was just by myself, it was really, really hard. Um, I, I used to have a lot of sleep issues as a child. And my, you know, my parents, they were just busy trying to put food on the table. Nobody had time for yeah. therapy. And I think coming to the U.S. and when I started going to grad school where my perfectionistic tendencies started, you know, crippling me at the point I couldn't even write my thesis. And my advisor told me, there's something off with you. I don't know what you're going through, but you know you it's okay not to be okay. Here, go to the um, counseling center and I, I suggest you go there. And for her to have told me that, because my advisor, for example, but I'm sorry for, um, for, for to be to give some details. She suffers no fault. She's very, you know, very strict and very, but loving. But she knows her things and she's well respected. As an yeah. international student, for her to say that to me, and I took that as this is this person wanted to help me because up until that point, I wouldn't have gone to the center myself. And they started asking about my child, and I was like, oh, my child was okay. What does okay mean? To me, I had kind of normalized it. I've, I've built my life around that dysfunctionality. It's like roses going through, you know, a, a, a bed of thorns. Like, I'm still growing. People are seeing my productivity. You know, I have friends. I'm the life of the party. Things are working well for me. But inside, it was just disorderly, right? And therapy helped give voice to what I was going through. They helped me see the patterns because there were so many things I was doing that it felt like I was stuck in a rut, right? And and I think it was moving to the U.S. and just the availability. And I take that as a privilege to be able to move here, even though yeah. I didn't grow up privileged, um, mm-hmm. but to be able to um, have access to health, mental health, as a grad student, I think that was the best gift my, my college gave to me because otherwise I probably wouldn't have been able to afford it. So yes, it was when I came to the U.S., and things came to a head, like things were really bad. And that's when I realized that I couldn't talk myself out of this, you know, at the point I was even very suicidal. 
I didn't have an active plan, but if a car had hit me at that time, I would have, I was just praying for the sweet, sweet death, sweet release of death to come, to come get me. And I think that's when I realized, okay, something was really going on. Prayers couldn't get me out of it. My good work couldn't get me out of it. My friends couldn't rescue me out of it because I wasn't even letting anybody in. So yeah, moving to the US, that was what I would credit to giving it a voice because say what we might say about this part of the world, people are more vocal about mental health compared to, you know, the countries we come from where it's pray your way out of it or don't even acknowledge it or why are you sad about that? Why are you depressed about that? You have food on your table. You have clothes on your body. Why are you depressed? You know, this kind of thing. So, yeah. You're so right with that. We pray about everything and uh, like I shared in my story, <laughs> I couldn't pray away a lot of things. No, 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 no. Prayers are good. Don't get us wrong, but there's no, a time for prayer and are... yes <laughs> it's like if you have cancer <laughs> keep praying but please you know have a surgeon take out that cancer you know get some radiotherapy in you yeah <laughs> oh my god so you came to the u.s when 2011 there 2011 august 15 2011 i laid my tiny uh-oh. paws on uh-oh. the shores uh-oh. of this country uh-oh. yes girl uh-oh. yes girl <laughs> I always so celebrate did that year. 9-11 uh, affect you? It didn't, it didn't, but I came in 2011. 9-11 was 2001, but it affected us in the sense that there's now more monitoring of international students. They introduced yeah. the service and, you know, it became more strict. And this was, I came right after, not too long after the 2008 economic collapse. So, but I was glad I got like, you know, some funding for my, because I came for a PhD directly for my, my, yeah. my bachelor's degree. But yeah, um, I, I I saw the remnants of 9-11 and the remnants of the economic collapse, but it wasn't like a direct impact on me, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely get it. Yeah. Um, so you, when you came to the U.S., where did you go? University of Texas at Austin. So I go, uh, so... Ha-ha! <laughs> uh, um, Nancy, so... I got, I, I knew I had to leave the country. I knew I wanted to go further my um, education. I had a professor in college, in, sorry, my uni days, looking at me doing class one day. I had given a response to a question she didn't expect anybody to answer. She goes, you should go get a PhD. And I scoffed back at her, like, you know, because you see those grad students, you know, in the halls of pharmacy school, they're looking so dead. They spend like 15 years getting a PhD. I'm like, no, that's not going to be my life. I rebuked and I rejected her. But as time went on, it started to make sense. And I think this also talks about the importance of admiring people from afar. I got a job with um, an oil company in Chevron. And the person who was there before me, we had the same story. You know, finished first class in university, was in pharmacy school. After her injury, mm-hmm. we got into Chevron to, um, different times when she was my senior. And she got from, from, from her, after her bachelor's, after her work at Chevron, she went straight for a PhD. And I'm like, I can actually follow her playbook. So I got in touch with her and said, hey, I need your help. I need to go to grad school. What do I need to do? She said, do ABC. And I followed it exactly, and I got my results. And so I came here, and um, I I remember just the first time I landed, you know, there was a, there was somebody waiting for me by the stairs. I didn't know her face, but I knew she was waiting for me. Her name was Stephanie Crouch. She was the graduate coordinator for my department. She didn't have to come pick me up at the airport, but she, she stayed behind to pick me up. And that meant a lot. And I always, because right now I volunteer for an organization. We do airport pickups. We host students, national students. And I always credit that point because everything that happened from then on has helped me really stay comfortably in the U.S. I could have had a very horrible experience that will have, you know, derailed me. But because I had people who were there to sacrifice their time, 
it's also very important for me to give back in that capacity. So yes, August 15, 2011 was when I landed in the US. It was a strange world. I've seen the US in movies, in TV dramas, on TV shows. Um, Friends was one of my most favorite, you know, um, season series to watch. But it was nothing like, you know, what I experienced, you know, like being here and seeing people of all colors and shades and, you know, the sky was so blue. I'm like, wow, is this heaven, you know? <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, way back then. <laughs> <laughs> way back then. Yeah. 2011 was just right here. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I ask, even if you you came after 9-11 happened, it, it affected a lot of us yes. in a way. Yes, yes, um, yes. Because I know you came, but, you, went, you went shortly not too long after 9-11. If I recall from yes. the episode, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, for sure. It's definitely different. It's night and day from the movies and how it is actually it. here. um so you get to school how was life on campus how how was that nancy Uh oh so there was a video that circulated not too long ago about how african schools are not we're not equipping um leaders or thinkers we're just equipping followers we don't challenge our students to think we always tell them this is how you're supposed to think and even though I was the best student in my class, and of course, to, to get into a PhD program directly from Nigeria, you know, from a bachelor's degree, you've done some work, you know, it wasn't like, you That's know, a big deal. you've done some yeah. work. So, but that said, that was just how that ended though, because when I was in class and so for context in grad school, you don't take a lot of exams, like written exams. They usually, you know, um, write-ups you do. You may have some closed book exams, but that's not the bulk of it. But your class um, discussion, like the things you contribute in class, they make a chunk of your grades, right? So I go to class and I'm looking at my classmates, especially my peers that are from here, from the U.S. And the way they are even talking, I'm like, it's not in the write-up. What are they getting these facts from? Like they're just drawing from all the experiences. They They're just, you know... Because they've, they've, they've read a lot. They know so much. And here I am trying to rely on the textbook or something. And the, the, the answers are not there. And I won't tell you just how depressing that was. I realized that, man, I had to just shed myself off that local champion. Like, this is not used. You're, you're the best of the best are saturated in the room. And you have to make sure your voice is also being heard. And it took me a while to feel into that. So what really helped me was, you know, number one, telling myself, you're not dumb you're actually smart enough to have gotten here, but how can you make yourself smarter? I started reading more. I started watching more um, late night shows, um, learning about the healthcare system. Because again, I was doing more stuff on around healthcare. Learning about international health systems as well. Seeing how I can do, draw those parallels between the US and other countries. And my arguments are getting better. And I think a breaking point for me was when, because I write my essays. My essays were always good because I'm a very good writer. And... One day in class, I realized that it was almost towards the middle of a semester and I hadn't talked a lot. And, you know, being Nigerian, I'm always very goal-oriented, like 20 points for discussion and I haven't talked a lot. Okay, let me start talking in class. So one day I started to open my mouth and it was about healthcare system. <laughs> the professor was about talking about how the healthcare system in the U.S. is better in this area. And I remember uh, I watched the late night show and they talked about Canadian healthcare system in this particular area. So I argued against his point. But people looked at me like, huh, that's a good point. And I had people like, you know, argue, agreeing with me. But my goodness, Nancy, afterwards, I just wanted to, the ground to open up and swallow me. 
I felt like I had argued with my professor and at that very day I was going to be expelled from school. So I walked up to him and said, Dr. Dr. Lawson, I'm so sorry. It felt like I was going against you in class. I didn't mean to sound that way. I felt like I was being argument. You know how you feel like you've disrespected your... Yeah, yeah. He looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I actually enjoyed you. I've been waiting for you to talk about that in class. And I brought up that point because you had argued about that in your essay. And I wanted to, you know, to, you know, to articulate that to the whole of the class to hear. And I would like for you to, you know, um, talk more in class because I think you have a wonderful perspective. I'd like to hear your voice more. As a matter of fact, would you like for us to meet over coffee and talk about some of your research ideas? And by the way, call me Ken. I'm like, Ken, Ken, Ken. No, I'm not calling you by your first name. It's doctor. I'm calling you by your full name. And that was it. That gave me the, oh my gosh, I flew, I flew, I flew like a bird with that. And I've been on stop ever since then. And now being on the other side of that conversation as an educator, because I work, one of my, apart from research, I also teach. Yeah. I, 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 I follow that philosophy is that I don't come with all of the questions. I want my students to be able to bring something out of it. I want them to, you know, take what I have and run with it. And I don't, I don't see myself as the knowledge ends with me, right? I want them to take it and also, you know, spin their own individuality to it and to be uninhibited um, in their pursuit of knowledge. Being an immigrant can be hard. Having been away from my home country for over 20 years has allowed me to experience these hardships firsthand. Throughout my journey, I have always had a lot of challenges that were hard to bear. Juggling the adjustment to a new country, obtaining my immigration papers, getting married, having children, establishing my career, and leaving time for myself. Even though I have always had faith, I also relied on therapy, which gave me the tools to cope with the issues life brought me. My fellow dreamers, let's remove the stigma around therapy and normalize seeking help with today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Go to betterhelp.com slash forward concrete pastures for 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp and get matched with a therapist who will listen and help you in as little as 48 hours. And I think that's one thing we're missing in African um, universities. Like there's just that fear of, you know, of challenging um, thoughts we almost like copy and paste what has been do- done you know five years from then I had seniors whose books I used when you know they passed them over to me and the the notes were still verbatim nothing had improved are you telling me that in five years there hasn't been like you know um, some improvements in this particular area of research or area of topic and so it was really really difficult um, in the beginning but with time and with just you know the strength and, and just knowing that okay I came here because um, to learn something is a different environment there was culture shock everywhere but you know it's it's worth it and, I, and i'll summarize this by saying you know one of my goals also is to motivate my students to develop their own um, learning interests and critical um, learning skills and and i think um the former president of the u.s um lyndon b johnson said this he said above all else the teacher must not hand down the knowledge as learning and learning as though it were complete and final the teacher must pass the knowledge on as though he or she were confident that a student could improve it and do more with it than had ever been done before. That's what I try to do. And I, I'm always up for a challenge for my students. The, bring on the argument, bring on the challenge. I'm up for it because I'm not a custodian of the knowledge. I'm just a conduit. How can you make it better? 
I love that. I love that. Because as, as leaders, honestly, because as a teacher, as a professor, you are a leader yes. for your students. And you can either build them or break them. It's very easy to break someone. And I'm glad that your professor did that for you. And you look where you are. Yes. Inspiring us. Yes, yes, yes. And giving them the same opportunity, which is amazing. Yes. Miss, you speak Korean. I do. So how did you get to... to did you learn it here? Did you go to Korea? What no, happened? I haven't been to Korea for... Come on, Juki Upsoya. I just spoke in Korea. I've never been there before. Um, I... So I have a thing for language, right? Um, so growing up in Lagos, I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria. You, it's kind of like in New York of Nigeria. You have people yeah. from all over. And I think you can appreciate that because you live in New York. But um, so French was offered to me in primary school up until secondary school. And I didn't take it so seriously because the way Spanish is ubiquitous in New York, French was, you know, common in Nigeria because we're surrounded by, you know, French-speaking countries. If the French were in quite lazy, we could have been, you know, parlevo français by now. But then I spoke, I went to um, summer school uh, when I was in university in French summer school. And at a point I could speak French so well that I could actually pray in French, you know. But after a while, I kind of lost it because that cultural exploration part was missing. I didn't care about French way of living. I didn't watch any movies in French. Heck, I didn't really listen to any music in French. So it was just textbook knowledge and interactions with, you know, um, people around me. I mean, then I'll go to the French embassy when they had like Bastille Day, which was like Independence Day sometime in June. Or was it July? I don't even remember. Um, but most, so after a while, I just started telling myself language learning wasn't for me. If I couldn't take French to the next level, because point I hate the ceiling, I couldn't go past it. So I moved to the U.S. and um, in grad school, I had a colleague, um, Chan Hyun, who's from Korea. And I like sitting in front of the class because I like to be visible in class. And I want to always remember me. I was always talking in class and, you know, giving all that. My voice had to be heard. It was my way of learning because I'm an excellent thinker. And um, sometimes because I talk a lot, I might miss some notes. So Chanyon was more quiet. I'm like, Chanyon, hey, can I borrow your notes to fill in the parts I missed during this course? And she borrowed me her notes and I saw some scribbles she had done in her language. They look like circles and rods. I'm like, what are those? She's like, that's Korean. I'm like, ick. It looks weird. And we laughed about it. And that was it. Now, fast forward three years later, we both interned um, for a biotech company in Boston. And because of the cost of living, we had to stay together. And every morning she would have, she, I mean, by the time we got back from work, there was hot sticky rice waiting for her to, to, to have. She ate rice every day and she was, she was not as chubby as me. So I was always wondering, how come you guys eat rice and I know this fat, you know? What's the secret? Because I love rice, but I look at me looking like... I know. Like, what is the secret? Girl, they flip the, the pyramid upside down. Rice is a side dish. Hint, hint. You know how we eat it like hey. in, in, in business food? No. The main meal. It's yes. not the main meal. It's a side dish. It's like they take a little bowl of it, but they have like vegetables, you know, side dishes, what they call banchan, kimchi, kim, um, um, seaweed, um, bean sprouts. Uh-uh. So they eat rice every day, but it's quantity, little quantity. And I'm like, so that's the secret? She's like, yes. Ah, so guess what? The food. And, you know, so one example I give is pickles. When I had pickles, I felt like just trained up. I felt like yanking my mouth out of my body. It, it didn't, the taste board was not there. I didn't have the registry to connect with it. But with Korean food, it was almost like eating home-cooked food. I didn't have to, like, overcome it. Now, kimchi was a little bit different because it's a little bit sour and pickled. 
but the food was really good. I'm like, wow, these are really healthy options. You know, you have a lot of proteins. You know, growing up in Nigeria, you can't have more than one meat when you're eating as a child. Mm, it was a luxury. Mm. But yeah, you're having like different kinds of options. And then she started intro- yeah, I'm introducing me to their dramas. And from up until that point, it was mo- I was mostly strictly watching a lot of, you know, um, American movies and series. And I would rewatch the ones I was used to and put them in the background because I like to work with something on, like maybe music or something on. But to watch Korean dramas, I had to. Um, rely on the subtitles because I couldn't understand in either ways and so that was frustrating for me so you know what that summer ended I'm like oh bye I'm done with this you know I can't learn the country the um the language but I can still enjoy the meals but then three mm-hmm. years later after grad school and I got a job I had to you know transition between visas I had a like a few months and I hate being idle you know it's depression for me to be idle not doing anything I had gone to visit my husband then he was living somewhere else for his residency and I got an email from Coursera saying learn korean 101 and i scoffed that like who learns language online if you want to learn go to a real school or go to that country but you know what you know it was sometime in december of 20 2016 i'm like okay what's there let me even look at it girl one hour later i i was supposed to go to bed i plopped up on my laptop i could i could read the alphabets you know i could i could read the characters oh. you know even though i didn't know what the words meant i could sound it and that's me. I, when I like something, I'm very obsessive with it. So I ran with that for six months, taught myself. Um, I was good with the input part of it, but because language has to have the output where you, you, you get feedback from somebody and you're interacting, not in a vacuum, I had to go to a language school and I did so well. They made me a teacher. I, mean, I started teaching the beginners class. COVID hits, we had to shut down and now I have an online tutor. Um, so it was self-taught for six months and I was very aggressive about it. I saw the world in Korean and it's so beautiful having access to another culture through language especially one that is not from the um, script that you're used to. You know, with French and English, it's similar. They're from the Romance language. But um, Korean is a different ball game. It's totally different. I became like a child again. I got very excited about things. And that part of me that I thought um, was dead from language learning, I brought it up again. And so I always used to encourage people, you're never too old to learn a language. As a matter of fact, studies have shown that the older you get, the more you should try to acquire, acquire a new language. But it can stave off cognitive issues like, you know, dementia away. And um, I love the culture. I, I explore it through other areas as well. And I think the language has given me access to know more about the nuances of the culture. So Parasites is one of my favorite movies. And in, when I gave a synopsis of it to my non-Korean um, loving friends, I had a, I could tell them why some things were done because they didn't understand why you know they said some things or the the implication of the different layers you know the basement the first floor and said that's like you know societal structures around you know class and power so those kind of things that I'm able to have an understanding for so yeah um, I started learning but. I'm also my friends I forgot to add that part they help me with the free flow of conversation you know you rely on dramas but the way they speak in dramas is not necessarily how they speak in, in real life so I have Korean friends who have really nourished that part of me they love that I love their language they even tell me you're even more Korean than us because I, I also love the history part of it I can tell you all about the history the world the language and everything about it because again I'm very obsessive when it comes to stuff I use all of my research skills and I apply that to everything I do when I'm obsessed so yes that's Korean and I, I love it it's, it's exciting it's it's like an adopted culture for me and I'm very careful because I don't want to run into the trouble of you know cultural you know appropriation but it's helped me understand just how similar Asian cultures are to you know ours as Africans you know our love for family uh, familial piety, um, respect for elders, celebrating true food, um, national pride. I'm Nigerian. We're very proud of people. Koreans are very proud as well for good reasons as well. So yeah, South Korea it is. Yeah. 
I am so hopeful. You, you, you've given me hope now. I need to go back to learning Spanish. Go do it. I took two <laughs> semesters of it. So now I just gotta, you know, buckle up and do it online and it's worth it. it. Are you in, you're in, you're in New York, you know, that's like me going to live in LA or Korea, you know. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. No, I have hope and my daughter is teaching me Russian every day. She's learning Russian? No, she speaks. She is she is um, half Ukrainian, so she speaks fluently. Your and your, every your time. ex was Ukrainian. Yes, so she's um, teaching me um, <laughs> Ukraine. Like I understand, I can read between the lines. Look at my mouth. That is amazing. <laughs> A Zambian Ukrainian. My goodness, that is beautiful. Yes. Wow. Yes. So she um, she's teaching me like certain words, and because um, whenever oh. we get in the elevator here, we um, we have some Russians in the building, oh. and so they she speaks to her brother, and they look at them like, oh, okay. how old is she? <laughs> she? That's impressive, though. That's impressive. She's seven. Uh. She's seven. But I give credit to her grandparents. Like her grandparents taught her everything she knows, That's and really then. Good. That's um, really good. When we had COVID, I put her in the daycare, Russian daycare. They also uh, contributed to that. That's really good. So, Could have seen you. All around. Could have seen you. Thank you. Yeah. No, all around. It's a, it's a village. It's a village. Yes. It takes a village where a child, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So you're giving me hope. So I'll continue learning with my daughter <laughs> and I'll get online and learn some Spanish. Continue to learn, actually. I understand some words, but I'll continue yes. to learn. Yes. So how has it been here in America? I know you are very accomplished. You're doing so much. So how has it been in America? How has been the life in America? Uh, so it's been 11 years here, and I'm, I might help just talking about this. It's been almost like a, like two lifetimes wrapped in one, right? Because mm. you go through the lineage, and you go through the non-lineage, and then you're coming to a point where you still want to expand and grow. Yes. But if I look back now and if I were to advise my younger self is don't rush it, right? I'm glad I did everything um, in steps and I didn't rush through things. Um, there were moments of, you know, near deportation, especially for my husband. And those were really difficult moments. But I'm glad that we stuck it out. We didn't compromise our integrity and flat values. And um, grad school was also very, you know, different, you know, being in a place that is so different from where you grew up and your intellect is at, is at stake here. You have to prove your worth as a person of color, as a female, as someone who sounds different, right? Your accent already yeah. gives you away and it. Oh, you speak good English. You will keep quiet. I speak better <laughs> English than you. I have more degrees that could count than on your fingers, you know. And But you know what? Um, there's been bad times and there's been some good times. But I'm very thankful for community. And I always say um, I refuse to do life alone because they've been what has really helped us. I think as Africans, we take that for granted. You know, you wake up in the morning, your neighbors, maybe it's even your neighbor's rooster that wakes you up. You know, you just, you're forced to have interaction, whether you like it or not. Is how I even wonder how introverts cope in countries like ours. But when you come here where everybody's just isolated, like it's purposeful isolation. Right now, I live in a <laughs> suburb where I hardly see my neighbors because I enter my car through my garage and I'm out. You know, I don't walk to places anymore. And um, but I, I, it's a huge sacrifice. I also mourn the loss of what I don't have anymore. Um, not having my family with me. I mean, I have my husband here, but where I grew up, 
Um, yeah. We might talk about moving to the U.S. as an upward mobility, but there's a trauma there because a lot of us moved when we were older and the life you used to is no longer the life you're here. And you're never going to be Nigerian anymore. You're never going to be American enough. So it's always that, you know, stuck in purgatory mode. But around, even along those lines, it's still that um, theme of gratitude. I'm very grateful for where I am today. I'm not where I, I want to be, but I'm glad I'm not where I used to be. And I know there's still a lot to do, but I've always learned that the antidote to a lot of ills in life is just gratitude. So I'm very thankful. And um, because I've had people who have seen a lot in me and um, pruned a lot in me, I'm thankful for the community of people I found and the luxury to have good people around me. And I think that has also helped. What has really helped with that is calibrating my inner self. Because when you don't lie to yourself, when you're very honest about your shortcomings, you tend to attract more honest people around you. So the work has to be done internally because you can only attract what you what you are as a way. You know how they say, show me your friend and tell you who you are. Um, but I also credit my friend for helping me just calibrate that, especially when my thoughts weren't quite clear. But yes, um, it's not been quite an easy road. But I advise anybody listening to this is that remember that it gets better. I promise you it gets better. Uh, I've been through so many difficult situations. I couldn't, my intellect couldn't get me out of them. Um, but for the grace of God, yes, I'm Christian and I'm very open about that. So hold on to whatever hope you have and um, find someone to talk to. But don't do life alone. Um, you can overcome whatever. I don't even know what it is. For me, I see life as life and it's death. And anything in between that is just doesn't compare. As long as you have life in your nostrils, there's hope. So keep up to that hope. But yeah, um, it's where I am right now. There's so much to be done, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful for where I am right now. Do you mind sharing just a little sure. bit of some of the challenges that you went through? <sighs> Immigration. Let's start from the beginning. So we went, my husband and I went for a joint interview. He was supposed to come as a dependent. So for those who might not be familiar with the U.S. immigration system, the student visa is called F1. And anybody depending on the student, on the students, meaning their spouse or their children, or parents will be called an F2, right? And F2, you don't have a responsibility. You cannot work. You're just to stay at home and support, right? And um, this is me married somebody who made his first million when we were still in college. And that was a big deal back then. He's very entrepreneurial. He's a medical doctor, but he's, he's also business inclined. I mean, he's very hardworking. And you come to the U.S. and you can't do anything. You're just staying home. But we knew it was going to be sacrificial. Um, we had to make sacrifices. I had to start first, and then he would, you know, hopefully get his license to practice. Wait, more? Mm-hmm. You guys met home? Yes, we went in college. We t- boring story. Like, seriously. College Twitter, that's oh, it. That's it. Seriously. <laughs> it's been said, it's been dumb. It's many, it's the tropes of many Hollywood movies that you want to die. <laughs> Please don't let me do that to your audience, okay? <laughs> we met in college and the rest is history. You've heard that story before. He's been acted many times and spoken in different languages, guys and girls, and everybody else in between. So um we got married. I got married, we got married in June. I moved here in August. And I went for the interview. And by the time we got the visa, by the way, where you go for interviews, usually the embassy, right? The visas are out when you get to go pick up your passports is outsourced with third party that is not the embassy. And I had a flight to catch back to Lagos because I went to do my um, interview in Abuja. We went to do interview in Abuja. And the moment we got our passport, I noticed something was wrong. I noticed that on my husband's passport, they had stamped F1 on his passport. Students. It shouldn't have been because they knew he wasn't a student. We had the interview together. They kept asking him, why your wife is doing your PhD? Her PhD, what would you be doing? 
oh i'll be supporting her you know doing dishes writing a novel oh was he a doctor are you going to be practicing oh no i don't have any intention so they knew he wasn't a student there was no way to grab issued him that student visa without mm-hmm. he not being an error we tried calling it was friday night they had closed i went back to lagos i, I had a flight three days later to move to come to the u.s but he wasn't planning to come with me right away he was going to join me sometime in october so i called them you know on the monday they didn't pick up you know i left a voicemail but you know what i was like let me just email them so i sent them an email you know um and i have it here because i was ready for you i wrote in my email verbatim um hi um my name blah 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 with passport number blah 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 apply for an f1 visa and an F2 visa for my department, my dependent spouse. I put his name and his passport number. We had an interview on this day at the U.S. Embassy in Abuja, and we were subsequently granted transit visas to the U.S. However, the visa issued to my dependents is an F1 visa instead of an F2 visa. I'd like to confirm if this is the correct format. Thanks. This was sent August 11, 2011, 19:25 25 p.m. Um, sent, um, 7.25 p.m. And it was sent for my BlackBerry wireless, you know, from Glow Mobile. Oh, my and God. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful I had this email, Nancy, because this email saved us in many ways. Nancy, five days later, we got an email back. 16th of August, 2011, 1624 BST. Subject, cancelled American visas. We must regretfully inform you that both Taiwo and the mentioned his passport number and Motolani have their visas cancelled. The interviewing officer has determined that the fraudulent documentation that is invalid service you presented during the interviews merits such. If you attempt to travel to the US, you'll be stopped at the port of entry and refuse entry to the country. So we suggest that you do not try. Correspondence Unit Consular Abuja. Now, let me paint to this scenario. Imagine you being an already overwhelmed new bride student in the US and you get an email that you are now in contempt of the US immigration laws. Tell me how you're supposed to feel. Now, for those that don't know service, service is a student and exchange visitor program. Decided doing that after um, 9-11 um, as a way to kind of um, maintain like, you know, information regarding students, you know, homeland security, blah, blah, blah. Nancy. <laughs> Imagine if I just left at that voicemail. I notified them of the issues, the problem they made, right? But they came yeah. back and said, we, we were fraudulent. I was so mad. I went straight to my international office. And I will say this for those that are coming to school here. If your school does not have an international office, I don't care how much they're giving to you in scholarship. Do not go there. Because you will not know until you, have, you go into issues. They will, they will be your liaison. They will be the ones to speak for you. You can't take up against, you can't take up a fight against the U.S. government as an individual, right? No. Nope. Thank God for that email and keeping those records. I just went there. I stated my case. I was just in tears. The name of the officer then was Laura Strove, and I can never forget her name because she was an angel. She saw me. I was just in tears. She was like, what's going on? And I told her everything. She was like, no, you did the right thing. Send me the email. I'm going to take it from there. And that's what they did. Tell me what the odds are. Luckily for me, Laura had a colleague who works in the same embassy in the U.S., in, in Nigeria. Wow. Her name was Margaret, and they just did the interaction. They finally now apologized and said they didn't mean it. But it wasn't an apology. They didn't apologize directly. It was almost like, oh, you must have mis- misconstrued our message. No, I didn't. 
you are very clear. You said we committed fraud. Imagine you being Nigerian, where you know that your country as a whole doesn't already have like good reputation, <laughs> and they're not calling you a fraudster. Which service that we paid for that was issued to us by a school, and the school will not issue you a service unless you meet that criteria. You gave me a visa as an F1. Why would you give him an F1 visa? So they told him to come back again for the interview. And even during the interview, they were still asking him, are you sure you're not going to practice? He said, no, I'm not practicing. They wanted to still deny him, but they couldn't. So by the way, he didn't have to pay for the second interview, but he had to go all the way to Abuja, which was, you know, he had to fly and all that. So they couldn't cancel the interview because the system had already recorded it. So what they did was they said F1 visa. They now put the colon derivative of, did I put my name on it? That's not the visa category. So before he came to the U.S., because he was going to join me in October, I, I, I FedExed every document to him just in case, you know, and all the email correspondence. I said if I knew something was going to happen. Tell me what happens at the port of entry. He gets there. They stamped him as F1. And you know you've been through those port of entry. It's a one-way street. You don't go back. Once they tell you to go, you, you enter and go pick up a bag and you transfer to your station. He goes, he went, he goes like, no, this is wrong. I'm not an F1. Because what happens is that when the system refreshes, your school should be sending updates of your attendance, your grades and all that. If it's not going to school, yeah. then he's, it's going to seem like he lied to get into the U.S. And that trouble wanting to avoid in the first place. So he turns back and says, Officer, I want you to know, Nancy, these people at the portal of they have no idea about their immigration system. Which kind of, make, um, it blows my mind. How is like doctors performing a surgery and they didn't study medicine? How can you be a port of um, entry officer and you don't know anything about immigration laws? They go, well, we don't know what this means. Um, can you just please stay aside? He was detained for almost almost eight hours, Nancy. Meanwhile, he was in Houston. I, I'd called the airline. I knew because he called me when, when he got to Houston. And we were waiting to go pick him up at Austin. But we called the airline. They said, they can only tell us that he he boarded, he, he left the plane in, in Houston. But wherever he's whereabouts, they can't tell us. I couldn't call him. This was before WhatsApp was a thing. It was Blackberry. He couldn't call. He couldn't use his phone. Luckily for him, because of all the correspondence we showed them, they were like, you know, we don't know what's going on, but we'll grant you entry. So they gave him a visa waiver, which they give, you know, um, Koreans or other people with stronger passports, where you can stay in the U.S. for a short period of time. But if you leave the country, you have to apply for a visa. So he came and, you know, we were here in Texas then. Once you get your visa, your student um, um, visa, when, you, when you're a student, you go to the um, Department of Public Safety to get your driver's license. They issue you a conditional license for a year. Now, after one yeah. year, you have to go back and they'll give you up until when your I-20. Your I-20 is that form that shows how long you're supposed to stay in the U.S. as a student. Now, they'll, they'll give you up until when your I-20 expires. So my husband and I go, well, he, his, his, whatever was you, he went to renew his, um, his license and they go, oh, we can't find you in the system. You're, you're not, how did you even enter the country? You know, you're not in the system. Nancy, what about she? He's not in the system. They, they, you can't mm-hmm. find you. DHS is not recording you like you entered lawfully into the country. So, illegal alien, right? Yeah. So for about three, four months, I was driving. I was like driving Miss Daisy. I was the one driving everybody up, up and down. Apart from that, just the, the the wound that had not even healed came up again. Yeah. Right. We went back. Decided doing back and forth, back and forth. They finally rectified it. And so all this to say, it took eight years for my husband to finally make it back home. When his mom, you know, had a birthday, when his twin brother got married, he couldn't travel out of the country. He was stuck here for eight years. 
because he was worried if he leaves the country, is he going to be able to come back? You know? And then in grad school, he was trying to apply to residency. At this point, he had tried twice. They wouldn't take him. Now, for context, for those who might not know, um, when you come here as a medical doctor to practice, you have um, three exams you're supposed to write. Actually, four. Step two, step one, step two, CS and CK. CS is clinical skills, CK is clinical knowledge, and then step three. These things cost a lot of money. And then you apply for interviews. You apply for um, positions to get interviewed at. Now, when you go on their website, they have, if you're a U.S. citizen... Just for context. Yeah. Just for context. Yeah. With the exams, because I know there are some people who uh, have careers already and they would love to come to the U.S. Yeah. So as a doctor, yeah. you take one test. The first one is for what? First one is just like anatomy and, you know, physiology. It's, it's just your, your basic, you know. But again, I should also mention this, that this test... You have to score very high. It's not enough for you to just pass. Just pass and then score very high, right? Um, when you are scoring high, it increases your chances of getting matched, right? So step one is, you know, um, usually um, anatomy, biochemistry, you know, just just um, basic questions that you expect, like, you know, pre-medical stuff. Now step two is, I broke it into two parts. There's the um, clinical um, skills and clinical knowledge. Now for step two, um, the the clinical skills is um, observed like you go almost like steeple chase that you go through cases people observe it's very very subjective so if you speak the wrong way or yeah you know um, doing it in a very very weird way somebody can you know um, score you wrongly because they are looking at how you're yeah so uh, and then step three is where everything like all of your clinical knowledge comes to play so if you pass step two, so people start maybe doing step three first, but for the most part, they start with step one and then you work your way. Now, if you've done step one and step two, you can actually begin to apply for residency. And then before you finish, your, after your first year in residency, you're expected to take your step three. Otherwise, your program might kick you out. So you do all these exams, accrue all these debts, and then you apply for positions. And these are not very cheap. You can spend up to a thousand or more dollars just to apply for because this position costs a lot of money to for every school you apply to you pay a program you apply to you pay money now once you click on that thing to apply they ask you are you a u.s citizen or a permanent green card holder if you say no they send you to this oversaturated pools with chinese and indians where they're like billion people already and you know africans nigerians were, were quite i mean we're good at what we do as you know medical doctors but our numbers are not comparable to Indians and Chinese who are on that list. So you're already over, you know, almost like trying to make your... So it, it becomes a case of anybody that just knows you giving you a chance to be interviewed. Because once you're interviewed, they can show them that I know my worth. But who gives you a chance in the first place? If they see your last name, that sounds, you know, different, right? So he went through that two times. He didn't get matched. What they call it matching. And every match was then was always a difficult period because you get that email... But sorry to inform you, you have to wait the mm-hmm. next year again to apply again. Yeah. A year is yeah. gone. A year is gone. And then the third time we realized that what, what can we do to increase his chances? Well, let him, well, let's apply for a green card. You know, as at that point, I had written some papers. I had gone on conferences. One of my work had been cited by the FDA. We got a lawyer, an African lawyer based in Maryland to help us with the national interest waiver. Um, it's like a green card based on your intellectual merits. This guy, African guy, he botched it. He, we ended up finding he was a scam lawyer. I mean, he was a lawyer registered to practice, but he never did the work. And he's preyed on a lot of African healthcare, you know, um, immigrants as well. So FYI, his 
his last name his his initials are bm he's based in maryland last time i checked so if you are if you have that lawyer run away from him he's a scam and he botched our case but because of we did concurrent filing we were able to get an ead the employment authorization disclosure card to work in the meantime so that made him go into the pool of green card holders so that increases chances he finally matched right now, because we're waiting for the I-40, which is the main green card case to be um, approved for us to be become legal permanent residents, we could use our work authorization card in the meantime. So we're renewing it. And then one year, um, actually two months into his program, August 26, 2016, I remember that day vividly. I kept, because I was always refreshing USCIS.gov, USCIS.gov, just to look at my case. It become, I, I was so used to that website that even Google remembered, anytime I type in the first number, it populates the rest of the numbers. I didn't have to cram my case ID. I just saw that it had changed. I'm like, this looks different. They denied our, visa, our green card. I remember that my husband's employment was tied to this green card. Because his program in New Mexico, they would never have even allowed him to enter if he didn't have a, if it wasn't a, a, a um, a U.S. Um, green card holder green card or a holder. citizen. Yeah. So, people say, oh, don't tell them. They won't know. Just finish your residency and forget about it. We're like, no. We have to be very honest about them. So, he informed his, um, um, I have to rejoin this green card, um, um, EAD card, because my green card wasn't approved. Um, I don't want my options there, but I wanted to inform you. And they were like, well, they actually wanted to kick him out. They're like, we, we can't, you can't be here anymore then. He's been trying to get in for three years. His third attempt, he gets in. Now he has to leave the program. We weren't gonna put that, put up with that fight. But at that point, my and Nancy, he was just supposed to be deported. Like we could have, we had to leave the country. You know, I was done with my PhD, applying for jobs, and here he was finally. Meanwhile, five years he was home, helping me um, fulfill my own dreams. He would come to my presentations, help me edit a lot of my work. Like he, I was blossoming. I was moving up in my career, and here was this entrepreneurial medical person that was just always in the blue chair and I live in our bedroom studying and he didn't have anything to like you know see he has achieved in the past five years because we wanted to stick to the books we didn't want to do anything illegal and here how's the system paying us back by rejecting our you know, application I mean in fairness to them the lawyer did a very short job which you know afterwards I realized because I, I learned a lot more about the law and I've helped other people get theirs as well by giving them you know good templates and giving them feedback as a matter I had I have helped for my friends get their green card because I, I felt like I could have even majored in law after everything that happened to me because I took it upon myself to know that you know this is how you're supposed to report everything you've done so what did you have to do we 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 called another lawyer who gave us an idea because my husband around that time he went to get his master's degrees in public health he was like, let him switch his I-20, um, his OPT, sorry, which is like a training, and and have his program make him be like a public health medical doctor and have a research um, um, around his practice. So that's what they did. Because of him, his program employ, um, enrolled in what they call E-Verify. E-Verify is you're asking, the, you're telling the government that every, they can just randomly come search your database to be sure that everybody employed in your whatever is legal. And that is big for New Mexico because if you know a lot, New Mexico is close to the Mexican border, and yeah. the countries like New Mexico, New York, and California, it's not on on unusual to find illegal people, illegal. Sorry, let me call them illegal people that don't have valid stays in the U.S. to work in places. You know, people are, employers know how to work around it. So for doing that, they've, they've already reducing chances of other employable people, right? But that program enrolled in verified because of him. He broke that protocol, and it's nothing but the grace of God because he didn't have to do it. 
but they loved him and they wanted him to stay. So we got that OPT approved and it was approved in less than a month, which is unheard of because he should have applied for it before he left school. It's like it should have taken 90 days. And then when I got to the point to get my job, I got two job offers, one from the pharma company and then one from academia. And I was very open with both of them. Like, hey, I need a green card like yesterday. I'm only going to take your employment. I know you guys, because I knew they wanted me. There wasn't no matter. I knew I was hot kick. I knew that. And I played that to my advantage. I said, I need a green card. I need to have it in writing. You're going to file it for me within a year. They're like, yeah, we're going to get that for you. So I went from an F1 straight to an H1B. I, I chose the academic job. I did premium processing because they weren't um, subjected to lottery system for H1B. H1B is an employment um, visa, employer-based visa. And then in less than a year, Nancy, we got our green card. Less than a year, we got our green card. As a, How long was your green card for? Um, five years. And then um, five, after five, five years, you so we're up next year now for the citizenship. All that to say that when we went for... Quick question. Yeah, before you yeah. go on there, because for me, it's, uh, um, my situation yeah, is yeah, different. Yeah, I remember, yeah. So how did you... How can people like navigate this? Because they come here for school. Because not, I, th- I don't think all of us know mm. that you can actually get yeah. employment and get your green card yes. at the same yes, time. Because okay. I know of the army yes. that you can do yeah. that. But not everybody, not everybody can advertise. get into the army, right? Or wants to be in the army. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But not everybody can go to the army because that's what mostly was advertised. When I first came, honestly, Everybody was telling me to join the army. I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm, I don't know. Um, but how can people navigate that? Like, do you research? Did you do your research that this is what they offer if they hire you? Um, yes. I mean, universities are held best for that, right? But it was a matter of you. They will eventually file it for you, but it could take their jolly time, right? It could be five years. It could be six years. But I was very open. As a matter of fact, before I even signed the... One thing I would say my school did for me that I really liked, and most people don't know this about Oklahoma, because the, the impression I had about them was that they were not very immigrant-friendly. But it wasn't true in my case, you know. I, and again, I think it's just the grace of God. Before they even, I even signed the employment you know, offer and all that, they put me in contact with, that law, with that law, the, the in-house lawyer, and she gave me a lot of tips. You know, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. She didn't have to. I wasn't even employed by university yet. So for those that might not know, if you have a master's degree and you maybe have an advanced degree, maybe master or nursing, pharmacy, and you've done some work to improve the, um, to contribute to the society, to U.S. society, you might be eligible for a green card through the national interest waiver. And whatever you've done is, is a matter of writing compelling stories. It's why you need a very good lawyer. And I cannot overemphasize that. And I know sometimes as Africans, we want to keep it home. Don't go and take that African lawyer that you know because the person is African. They might end, on, mm-hmm. end up being the best. I'm not sure if the African lawyers are whack. In our case, the African lawyer was very whack and he preyed on our, on our naivety, right? And so get yourself a good lawyer and a lot of them will do free consultations. You know, if a lawyer is telling you that 100% money back guarantee, that's them telling you that if, they don't, if you don't get that green card, we're going to give you your money back. That is a good deal right there they're offering you. Yes. Even if they tell you 50% or 70%, and a lot of these law firms, I feel like the good ones, they don't want to reduce their bottom line in the sense that they don't want to reduce their success rate. They will not even take you on if they think you're not good in the first place, right? And then be very open with your employer. I cannot overemphasize that. It's like going to a relationship and not disclosing your status, right? Just be open and say, hey, I need this. 
this is why I need this. A lot of them are very because they don't know how much immigration hurts us. But if they're able to help, they'll be, they will help you. So be very yeah. open. You do have options, and information is key. It doesn't have to be arranging wedding or illegal, you know, go and do it the legal way. That's just stressful. I'm someone that I'm prone to anxiety. I can't even do that because it will just damage my health more. Peace of mind is very yeah. key for me. I'm always looking for peace, peace of mind. It seems like I never have enough, you know. <laughs> so all those illegal things was not even an option. Like we knew that was never going to be an option. It was, it was not even something we we're going to consider. So we had to just stick through the hard times and fight it together. And I'm thankful God came through for us. Because the same lawyer that hurt us was also another African lawyer who gave us the idea of him using his I-20. So information is key and don't close out on your... We have to be very open to people around us. Like, hey, this was happening to us. Can you help us? Can you help us? I felt a bit shame about it because up on that time, I had helped two of my friends get their green card and I was even more qualified for, than a lot of people and I still didn't get it. So I was a little bit ashamed and, you know, that prideful part of being like, how can I face other people? But I, I think like, it came like, it doesn't matter it wasn't me that cost it my lawyer messed up right and, and so yeah please um open your mouth um a closed mouth is a closed destiny seek information seek right counsel you have options you do have a lot of options if you have an employer be very open to them don't go around the corners and try to be sneaky be very open to them more, more often than not they'll be willing to work with you if they love you because they loved what i did i knew i knew that it was, my marriage alone was strong enough to get me through and i just had to just play on that to my advantage Oh, no, that's that's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of us uh, first get misinformed and then we also just n- don't know. We're not informed yeah. with yeah. our employers or whatever. Like for me, when I did babysitting, my employer was going to get me a green card. Yeah. But that was for her selfish reasons, mm-hmm. for me to stay okay, with yeah. them and take care of her five kids. I was just like, no, thank you. I'm not going to do that to myself. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I mean, I was young, so I'm just, we're not going to do that. Uh, there will be another way and God provided another yes, way. There you go. There you um, go. And I think we, we are so hush sometimes as Africans, right? We'd like to keep yes. things. Don't do that. I mean, especially in things, don't do that. Just ask for help. Yeah, people might look at you funny. Well, what does it do to you? You find the help you need. That's the big side of it. Don't, because I've seen people just suffer unnecessarily. If it doesn't open your mouth and just say, I need help. Just say it. Don't don't try to hide it. Just say it. And and as of course, ask God to send help us your way. But if you don't open your mouth, who's gonna know where you're hurting? Yeah, yeah no, that's true. And a lot of the times we go through these um, hardships in order for you to sit here actually yes. share your stories yes. and for other people to learn from it. Yes. And I'm positive there was going to be so many people that will relate to your story yeah. and also learned from it i just learned a lot mm, thank you. sitting here thank you and i i know about the visas and different type of visas but i didn't even know the depth and how oh my goodness it, it's it, it's great great information for everybody yeah um because we can all use it yep yeah thank you oh thank you. and i think yeah. that's how life is really though because at this moment i'm going through some stuff as well and i know that two years from now i have a story to tell that's how life happens like immigration can never hurt me anymore like there's nothing I can go through when it comes to immigration that will scare me anymore because I've been through the worst and I've come out of it by God's grace but the other areas of my life where I still have challenges I still have to apply that same principle of sticking through it using my community having hope that it's going to get better and it's just a copy and paste format that's how life is we go through different things like you said in the beginning life happens to all of us (laughs) 
Don't you wish mm. when you're going through one thing, you just like, can I just go through this one? Girl, thing? girl, you think, okay. you think, you think, like, just, can we just, can we, can can we just spend? go through this one thing and not have like 10 things that I'm going through? I heard you say that God must have a lot of trust taking. in us. He must have a lot of trust in me. I don't know why. For him to just keep sending this my way. Can life just be perfect, you know? But you know what? I think it's what yeah. makes it beautiful because we're not supposed to live life alone, right? It's why we rely on other people. Right, we're only as strong as the community we find around us, and even my American friends that didn't know about immigration, they pray with us. They they ask questions. We inform them. They would have they, at the point they even knew a lot about the immigration system because it was a prayer point they kept praying for us. So it's where you can also use. There are many ways to get into the community, and and there's just something beautiful about collective misery. Because trust me, as long as you're alive. There'll be misery in life. You know, life is suffering. It's just finding meaning in your suffering. So one day you can be in front of a yeah. mic and talk about it. That's my goal. Every suffering I go through has to have a meaning. Sometimes the meaning doesn't come from the suffering. I have to put meaning into it. You know, how do you talk about childhood trauma and talk about meaning? There's no meaning in that, but you have to find meaning around it. So always remember that we all go through something or the other, no matter how flashy we look on the outside. As long as you're alive, it's, it's miserable, but there's also beauty in that misery. I think a lot of the times when we're going through a hard time, it's learning to accept That's hard. what's happening. That's hard. That's hard. It's very hard. And letting go mm. is also hard. So accepting and letting go and let it just flow. Like the accepting part was... Uh, uh, yep. I, yeah, I think I, I, heard, it, I heard it said... It, it's very hard yeah, because right. we're like, okay, I, I, I am here. Yep. And this is my situation. Yep. I need to accept where I am today. Yep. yep. I mean, I think I heard it said once that, you know, something around the line of life is, you know, beautiful, but it's also absurd. And we should embrace the white side. We should stop trying to make everything right and reasonable and trying to dot all the T's, uh, I's and cross all the T's or make it fair. But let's embrace mm-hmm. the absurd and be interested in the future. And, you know, imagine that's Sisyphus, which is that endless, you know, tireless pursuit, happy. And I think that's just life. It's it's not perfect. It's never going to be. But it, it's all happening to all of us. And there's something they call shadow for it in, in German. You know, is that collective, you know, like you're laughing at somebody's misery, but we're all, you know, at one point or another, all miserable, but let's see how we can find meaning in it, right? No, that's true. And for anybody who's going through immigration and they're going through a hard time, we've all been in it yes. at some point or another. Yeah. Um, just keep strong. Find the right lawyers. Yeah. Uh, find the right people to help you through. Yeah. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to myself or more. Yes, please. To be able to shed some light in a lot of um, areas. Yes, please. Well. I promise God that I was going to always use this story. And we forget some names. And that, Sorry, let me just say something real quick. Oh, There's importance too. in sharing our stories, right? This is why, even though I've, I'm no longer in that situation, but I always want to remember it. I want to keep um, remembering, not as a way of, you know, showing, oh, how far I've come. No. So people can see this person in front of you. I know that she's come a long way. I never want to gloss over know how i got here because when you come to church and give your testimonies you talk about what god has done but how did you get there right 
And this is why mm-hmm. our, our words are very powerful. Even the Bible says that we overcame the, the devil by the word of the, the blood of the Lamb and the words of our testimony. So for those of you who have gone through stuff, always keep sharing those stories to people around you. They would need that encouragement. Because we live in a world where we post our most glossy picture on Facebook or Instagram. You take 100 pictures, maybe like only two make it up there. Because we, well, that's the, it's created for those kind of best moments. But I want to see your not best moments. What, what makes you not great at the moment? What are you struggling with? It's why it's one of the beauties I, I like about um, people around me is that we're vulnerable. And I'm so honored that you meet me in the first 20 minutes. I'm telling you everything about myself because I have nothing to really to hide. I mean, I've, I've done the work of slaying all the monsters in me. And I want to see what makes you tick. What, what's that hang up you have? What's your, what's your soft spot? Because I feel like that's what binds us together. You're great. You're beautiful. There's no doubt about that. But what makes you not, what, what do you think makes you not perfect at the moment? Is what I think we should explore more and more. And maybe we can start having more grace. Because once you understand that everybody has a battle they are fighting, we can be more, you know, um, we can give people a lot of grace, give them the benefit of a doubt, be more tender, be more loving, be, you know, more genuine in how we pursue people. And not go like, oh, I haven't heard from that person in a while. I'm going to block them because they're not calling me. What if their loved one has just been diagnosed with cancer or they're going through something so tough they don't even have the, the strength to reach out? So again, let's keep telling our stories. It makes us stay connected. That's lovely. Um, I know going through immigration is tough. When I was going through my journey, I actually was going through therapy. Mm. Did you guys find healing? Have you gone through therapy? And it's, I I was speaking to this to someone, actually, the episode is going to be coming up. We were talking about immigration as well, like in deep detail, she was sharing her story and the challenges that she faced. And um, she actually mentions, and they are saying, you cannot just have regular therapy. You have to find a therapist (laughs) that actually understands immigration. Because if you go to just a regular therapist no. <laughs> that just does, uh. they'll look at you, oh, I'm so sorry. And <laughs> so did you guys find healing? No. Did you, have you guys worked on it? I mean. But you don't want to hold on I to know, all of that. I know, Because it shows up in, in different areas. Because so right. anything that we put aside, it will pop up. Oh, you're right. Because anytime you will see USS... Got you right. <laughs> and I think for, for us, I mean, definitely you're right about the therapy piece. But again, I can have a, excuse me, immigration therapist. But I wish I had, especially someone that really understood, understood it. I think... Uh, our therapy was formed in relationships with people who helped us, you know, like our friends, our community, and mm, talking about it. Right. And because it was situational depression and situational trauma, once that was resolved, getting the green card, and my husband being finally able to go home, which I talked about in one of the episodes, I was so happy for him because I hadn't been home, you know, in eight years, you know, and seeing his family again, and you know, um, and even being able to see his dad. His dad passed away recently. I think that was just, you know, very beautiful to see. And slowly by slowly, the last bits of it just chipped away. And of course, you know, then our relationship, we, we went through a lot in the marriage, like with, you know, immigration and then just, you know, couple issues. It puts a strain. It puts a strain on it. Yes, it, it puts, puts a strain, strain on it yeah. because it's like now I have to probably leave the country because of you, you know. 
but it, it was almost like no we're in this together you came he actually came to the u.s because of me he followed me here after across the world even though he was going to put his dream on hold it's time for me to do something for, if, if that meant leaving the country i was ready to go anywhere you know with him but of course it wasn't going to be very easy um we didn't seek active therapy for that but i wish we did but we've been able to work through those issues again in just talking more about these issues and um and and being able to share the stories and definitely it being resolved by getting that green card i'm finally able to go home and just you know try to catch up on what, was, what has been lost you know for these past years mm-hmm. yeah oh nice yeah no i had my own um situation with the therapy it helped me a lot just to mm. focus a little bit mentally because mm. you can lose your mind you can lose your mind yeah. every time you're scared to go to immigration and girl yeah <laughs> yeah especially uscis uscis.gov i will not i cannot even say there will be a day when if i type you on my chrome browser and do not pick up uscis because my goodness it was you pressed you like this is already taken to that website it was it showed you just how yeah. much ah god god is good that we're not we're not we don't look like the problems we've gone through and i can be talking about this in a very you know oh thank god pains of the thank past god, it's nothing but god and it's, it's something i know that can happen to anybody listening to this please don't give up reach out um i'm on facebook i'm on instagram and I think Nancy's going to put my contact information. Um, and oh, for sure. one thing I've also done is to build connections. I've used my, one of my superpowers is um, being as a creative is I'm a connector. I know people who can get things done, even if I'm not able to get it done. So even if I'm not able to help you, I promise I'll find you somebody to help you. And I've helped a lot of my friends, you know, get resources and, and I'm leaning more into that strength that, okay, you know what? Let me shine through this. I used to be very uncomfortable, you know, saying the things I knew or people that I knew. But what's the point of knowing people that can do stuff? I don't introduce them to other people. So again, if I'm not able to help you, I promise I'll find you somebody. So reach out. I'll even reach out to Nancy because I'm sure she's also very connected as well. But please don't do life alone. Between these two African ladies, we want to make sure that we are also sharing our resources to the community as well. So reach out, guys. For sure. Yes, for sure. Um, so, Miss Sibo, yes, love. You have your own show. Yes. Do you mind sharing what your show is about? <sighs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. So, it's called the More Sibo Podcast. Um, Sibo is my pen name, and more is just um, saying that you get more of me. So, it's kind of like a plea on that. And uh, my first name is Mo, so More, more Sibo. And it started in 2018, April 5th, 2018. I'm very good on dates. You see me dropping dates. And really, it came from a place to find ways to um, set stories and processes free. So I talked about my dad in the beginning. Um, when I had a friend that was telling me, her name was Tammy, she's based in the UK. She forward me um, videos of YouTubers who bought a mansion from their creative, you know, checks. And she was like, more, you can do more. And upon that time, all I did was write. And my words were quite powerful. I, I mean, I used to write a lot. And I write about the human experiences, things you would never want. You, you'd be shocked to read somebody writing about. I wrote about everything. And I was very raw and open about it. And she wanted me to be more, you know, active as far as voice or video. I wouldn't want to do videos because I don't like videos. Um, I feel like you have to over-emote when you're doing videos. And she kept badgering me. Every now and then, she would be like, she would forward me. Look at that 20-something-year-old person. Look at that 15-year-old person. Finally, her words sank in. I realized that, okay, what's really holding me back? Why am I not listening to this person that's been saying the same thing? And you should take it that when your friends tell you things they're saying you, take it as a gift, yeah. you know. And I'm thankful she didn't give up on me because she said in many times, I just didn't, I wasn't listening to her. And I finally did. And I sat down and took a stock of myself. Like, what am I, what's holding me back? 
why am I not being, what's that last bit of me that I'm holding back? And there was a piece was my dad, you know, uh, as at that point, I was so indifferent about him. I went from hating this person to being indifferent, which is even worse because hate is an emotion. It's still a feeling towards somebody, but it's just on the opposite yeah. direction. Indifference is you could be dying. If I, if I had to pee on yeah. you, I wouldn't pee on you to, to quench that fire on you. And that was really troubling as, as someone who called herself a Christian. So I had to explore what was really going on. And, you know, through therapy again, that was where I really saw therapy about my daddy issues. And I wrote him that letter. I had my friends read that letter and they, they read, um, version one of it. They were like, Oh no, this is bad. This is really bad. Don't send it to your dad. So I, they edited it and I sent version two. When he read, no, I think version three or so or four. When he read version four, he said it crumbled his world. And I'm like, Oh, version four crumbled your world. You should have seen version one. You should have, you will have jumped off a cliff. And he didn't talk to me for a while. And then, but I stood my ground. My mom called me. My mom is very, you know, peace loving. She goes, you know, your dad, like, you know, you should call him an apple. I'm like, no, it took a while for me to write that. It was almost like going out of an existential crisis to write that to my letter. As an African child, you don't write that kind of letter. You don't write that without consequences. You knew there was a consequence, but I was willing to take it. I wasn't going to take it back. I've, I've drawn the line. So I let him know. Whenever you're ready to talk, I'm ready to talk about it. But I'm, I'm just letting you know that this is it. I've written you the letter, and whenever you're ready to talk, I'm here. But I'm not going to, I wasn't going to apologize because I didn't do anything wrong. And it took a, it took a few months. He emailed, he, he calls me and said he's ready to talk, but he doesn't want to email. He wants to talk, you know. So I called him, and my father apologized to me. And I think that upon that point, the time my therapist told me, would you ever want to talk to your dad about things, you know, he felt was missing in your childhood? I was like, no, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's ever, you know, it's worth it. But let me just keep working on myself. How can I get coping skills to be a better person? Because when you're in a relationship with a man, you start looking at him through the eyes of your father, but your husband isn't your father, right? Your daddy issues, you shouldn't bleed on him. And I knew that I had to do that to be a better person because I wasn't being a good wife in that regard. I didn't know how badly whacked I was until I got into a relationship and into a marriage, you know. And then she goes, what if your dad, you know, apologized? What would you say? And I never used to have a response to it. But I say his apologies didn't, didn't mean as much as the what formed afterwards. Now I have a relationship. We're like friends. And I was able to explore that side of me that was missing. Because I get a side of my, of my father. And I talked about that earlier. On. His love for life, his, you know, loyalty, his friends, his dark humor, sense of humor. I got that from my dad. But it was missing. I couldn't connect it because we didn't have that relationship. Now he's like a friend. I even call him by his first name sometimes to tease him. And I love him now. And I, I couldn't say that many years ago. I genuinely love my dad. And I, and in getting to know more about his story, about how he grew up, he was traumatized as well. And I'm not trying to give him a, um, a, a, a pass for what, no. He did the best he could do. It's the way I want my child to look at me this day. So when, when she's older, I think I, mom did the best. But I want to keep that line of communication open, which I think my parents didn't have that luxury because they started their family overnight. They were in trauma, you know, a lot of trauma. And so they weren't very attuned to emotional needs. And I was a very sensitive child. I'm still a very sensitive adult. So I, I don't know if you could tell. And so once I did that with my dad, um, Nancy, something broke on me. Like, and I hate to sound cheesy about it because I'm the least cheesy person in me. Like a spiritual portal just opened. I didn't know how much that was holding me back until I did that. There was no, there was no way you could have told me and I would believe you. But I felt like, my goodness, is this how people hold themselves back from forgiving? I was holding on to unforgiveness. That was it. The moment I released him, something came on me. 
and I realized that I could stand in front of a mic and tell people to be vulnerable. There was no way I could have done that if I hadn't done, you know, the cleaning up of my closet. And it's the same thing I infused in my was podcast. This, mm. Was this the letter? The letter released you? The letter, the letter released me and just having that conversation with him. Like, I forgive you. You know, it released me because I hadn't done that before. As an African child, you don't cross that. Your parents are like gods, right? But I, I mm. went against that nature and I did something. And, and so... That was what brought about the podcast. I want people to be able to have a place to set their stories free. My goal overall is that by the time people type in the Monsable podcast and they put a topic in the search button, there's a, there's a podcast episode for it. You know how they say there's an app for everything? I want there to be an episode for everything. I want us to explore our lived experiences. We're all, we're all human, right? Life happens to all of us. We might look different. You might be Asian. You might be Chinese. You might be Korean. You might be Zambian. Whatever you are, I don't care what your box is. But we have that same thing, but different thread that runs through all of us. I want to promote cultural curiosity. I want people to um, have a space where they can talk about those things they don't want to talk about. And I've been very open about my struggles, you know, infertility, being a mom through adoption, um, childhood trauma. Talk about it. I've talked about myself. And the podcast has helped me slowly, slowly open to that. Someone had told me that a day will come when I'll be more open about my struggles, especially childhood sexual abuse. Heck no. I, I would not have gone public with that. But a guest came on the show and after we had done recording her own child sex, sex, childhood sexual abuse, which was the same as mine. It was almost as she copied and pasted my experience. And the mic was turned off and she goes, tell me about your child. How was your childhood? And Nancy, for the first time in my life, I was able to string everything together. I couldn't have words for them because I was traumatized. I didn't, I didn't know how to articulate what I'd gone through. And I realized if I could tell a stranger in 30 minutes or less what I had gone through, why am I not able to tell my mom again? Up until then, my husband knew because I told him I was very open about it when we first met. It was the first thing I told him about. My therapist knew. Some of my friends knew. My mom didn't know. So again, um, the podcast is, you know, I call it a blacks for blacks and Asians and those who love them. And really to... Um, promote cultural curiosity to explore the differences not as a way to tear us apart but to come together and i've explored all kinds of topics you know mental health um just think about it so many issues on there and it's what i do it's 202 episodes in um we have been listening to over 90 countries i've started since 2018 and i have a wonderful co-host now who's one of my very best friends and so yeah if anybody's listening i would like to be a, a guest on it you don't have to be black or asian you could love black or, who doesn't love black or asian people right come on the show we have a platform we we are into community building even if it means us not being part of that community we'll help you find your people and i'm very thankful to my listeners i'm not very caught up about the numbers of listens or downloads the qualitative experience yeah. really mean a lot so when i get that whatsapp message or that email or that comment or that you know dm mm-hmm. this has changed my life an episode i did many years ago that i don't even remember someone is because episodes are always every evergreen right telling me oh this helped me this helped me those are what makes it going keeps me going because it's a ministry now it's a it's not my platform it's our platform it's how we can keep amplifying our voices to make the world a better place that's the most civil podcast beautiful thank you now i think when when you know your mission you don't really get attached to numbers because yes. even when one person listens yes. you are celebrating that one person it's like thank you so much thank for you. this thank you
they take their time. They are listening to one hour conversation. That's the one hour of their day, their time. So they are giving us that time. Yes. So yes. in the world of Netflix, Hulu, Disney, Vicky, ah, come on yes. now. Come on. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you guys. Yes. I don't even listen yes. to a lot of podcasts. I know it's a pain to listen to podcasts. Yes. I don't take that yes. for granted. I celebrate my listeners and their support all year round. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Oh, no, definitely. Your podcast is amazing. Everything is there. I can definitely, and I, I just want to add a little bit. Like when you are talking about uh, writing a letter. So when you heard my story, I wrote yes, a letter yes. to my parents. Yes, yes. Both of them different yes. letters. Couldn't send to your mom. I remember so, you said, yeah, yeah. Yes. So the thing is, with the letters, that part, one of my aunts. My mom's relative. My mom is related to everybody. I, I, I laugh about it, but it's just the truth. She's just related to everybody. Somebody listened to the podcast and they said you should take the, um, the podcast down, the episode itself. I said for one section that I should remove, but this is my truth. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about African children expressing themselves to their parents, mm-hmm. it's just a big taboo. Yep. And we are not allowed to express ourselves mm-hmm. because our parents, quote-unquote, are perfect. Mm-hmm. They raised us perfectly, and everything else that they did, we cannot hold them accountable. Mm. And, look, and they wonder why we're traumatized. <laughs> Do anything. Yes. And, and, you know, I was talking to my sister, and my sister was like, but you know, I don't understand. Why didn't they pick up the phone and call you mm-hmm. and ask, are you okay? Space value. <laughs> yeah, like, are you okay? How is everything going? But instead, you need to take out that episode, uh, everything. And so I'm like, okay, you want me to paint this picture Mm-mm. of everything is perfect. Mm. And this is why I love your podcast because you have everything. It's everything cannot be perfect. No. We cannot have everything sugar-coated or um, mm. it, this is what we bring it's my we story you know people. it's my story yeah. and I, it's it's biased because it's my story i just how i because mm-hmm. you only how i put it you don't have that third person perspective when it comes to your story it's your lived experience now i can be over emotional about it but it's my story if you want to write your own story yeah. go ahead and write your own version of it but is that we have king james version and we have msg totally different <laughs> right but it's my story and I think what set me free that one of my favorite writers is Anne Lamont in her book Bird by Bird some instructions on writing and life she said this and I want to pass this along she said you own everything that happened to you tell your stories if people wanted you to write warmly about them they should have behaved better (laughs) I love that there you go I love that. That's it. I love it. You can't keep holding on to, you know, holding your life by because you want to please somebody. No. Once you start letting go of that fear of people, you'll move, you'll move, you'll grow older and wiser. At the end of the day, we're all humans. We're all sometimes grown to poop. You know, we, we, we train to poop. You, we, we eat, we fart. Like, we're all messy people. Nobody's above anybody, yeah. you know. And your parents, mm-hmm. yeah, carefully tell your story, but please own that story. You can say it can be two truths. My parents did the best they can, but they messed up in this area. Those are two truths. You can have two truths. It doesn't have to be one truth. It's how even in raising my daughter, I want to leave that line open. I want to acknowledge that I will be very messy as a mom. I'm not going to be perfect, but please help me and help me help you. And I want to be open to that criticism because I'm sure she's going to have some hurts by the way I interact with her. Not because I intentionally want to hurt her, 
but I never want to pass off as a perfect mom. There's no perfect parent. You know, we only do better. It's how my parents have raised me. I thank, I thank God for the way they raised me. They didn't do a very fine job all the time, but I have to make it better. It's like someone that running a relay list. They've passed the button out to me. I want to make it better. I want to finish yeah. my own race and hand it over to my daughter. And hopefully she will make it better. It's how I see it. Again, yeah. it doesn't end with me. I'm not perfect. Neither are my parents. So where is perfection coming from? Why are we so obsessed with it as Africans? It doesn't exist. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's incredible on how we just have to pretend. It's it's a pretend no game, and no everything has to be hash hash no and stuff like. That. I love our generation, though. I have to upload our. Especially Gen Zs, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I won't say this loudly, but I admire them. My goodness, their balls, Woo! huge, huge, big yeah. guys. Like uh, mental health, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm like, oh, child. Give me some of those balls. I would like to wear them for a day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I love it. I love it. Mental health. Yeah, I, I need my peace. I need my peace. You cannot hold on <laughs> to things. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they're giving those older generation like constant whiplash. Like, who are these people? And I won't lie. I feel like they're, you know how someone said, like, if you go extreme, that there's the backlash there, everything goes the other extreme. Like, if you're too conservative, you end up having people who are too liberal. So Gen Z yeah. are like the cure for like the baby boomers because like who are these breeds of people you know? Well, yes, and all they are calling is like that's so disrespectful. No, you Can created you see the this? monster. You created. <laughs> <laughs> oh, child. Yeah. Um, this was fun. Oh, friend, I can talk to you forever. You said the same thing. But... You guys are so fun. Like you're amazing women. Yeah. I really respect your craft and your questions because <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you. Ah, uh, listen. Um, what would you like for us to support you on aside from your podcast what are you working on I know you volunteer yes yes my podcast thank you oh actually I don't know when this episode comes out but just in case um, my friend just got diagnosed with breast cancer she's 39 she has two young kids under the age of 10 and she's based in Nigeria her name is Kosi I'm actually raising doing a fundraiser for her she has a job but the HMO wouldn't cover cancer treatment which i don't get they can cover malaria that is a health insurance yes in nigeria they're not covering her cancer treatment she has to do pet scans oh which God. is like half a million naira. she has to do a bracket gene test because they're considering taking off both of her breasts because her cancer is quite you know aggressive and she's she i mean she she works just enough to feed her family and now you know cancer is just a money goes last so if anybody's listening to this i'll send you the link i don't know when this is gonna come out but i'm i'm no send me the link please anyone that can donate every um the money goes to her and i'm i'm trying to raise money for her treatment the good thing about being here is that a dollar goes a long way we i hate to say this but with inflation rates happening um a dollar will stretch a long way so whatever amount you have and if you don't have any money, please um, keep her in prayer. Her name is Kosi. And ironically enough, I met her doing a cancer fellowship in DC and she reached out to me and I really want to help her. So for my birthday, um, I usually have um, like a wish list, which usually ends up being charity anyways. So for this year, um, it's October being breast cancer month and um, um, what's the word? Coincidentally or um, serendipitously, it's also raising awareness around you know early detection, especially among African women. Even next time we talk about this, Nancy, in the cancer field, we're seeing more aggressive forms of cancer in women in their thirties, which is kind of rare. Mm-hmm. We're talking about aggressive forms like triple negative, 
you know, which is really, really weird. And in this part of the world where we live in, it's a huge money guzzler. How much more in Nigeria? So when you start talking about knowing our family history and not being hush hush about how, you know, a mom died, how did she die? Oh, she, she passed away. How? If you withhold those kind of information, you're putting your family members at risk, especially if there's a genetic susceptibility to it. So that's what I'm raising fund for now. And that's what I'd like to point awareness towards. That's beautiful. That's Thank beautiful. You. I Thank try you. to go. The thing is, because back home, we don't have these annual checkups like we have here. It's really a blessing for us that are out here. We get to if you use it. So if you use it, that is, yeah. And, then, use it. and also... Thank you for pointing that out because every year I make it a point. My doctor calls me. Mm. <laughs> so I'm lucky. My doctor calls me. I mean, they also need to get paid. Yeah. So well, she calls me. They do the checkup. Yes. Yeah. They do the checkup. But if you are not able to go, do self checkups. There's so many YouTube videos you can watch on how to check yourself. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So self examination. Women, let's do that for ourselves. Yes. Again, also asking how someone passed away mm-hmm. is important. Yes, it's not, it's not that we're trying it's to be curious or this is devil. Yeah. Especially for your family members, let them know. It's not fair that you're withholding those things from them. I know you might be caring yeah. about them. We don't want to stress them out. But if it's genetically linked, please let them know. How can people donate? I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link. I'm just finishing up the um, impact story, but I'll forward you the link. And um, I'm putting up all of her lab results, her pictures, because, you know, this is, this is, I'm I'm so shocked by this news. You know, I'm so shocked by this news. I want to save Kosi's life. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow, wow. And if anything that we can thank do, of you, course. Thank you. Definitely. I'll post it on our social media thank as you. well. Thank you so much, Nancy. Uh, thank you. No, no problem, of course. So, my dear, again, I can talk to you forever. We have so much <laughs> to catch up on. Yeah. Guys, this is a, a swap, actually. I am going to be on Miss Sebo's platform. Yes. So, look out for my episode oh as my well. Gosh. On <laughs> I can't her wait. Platform. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> all right my dear this has been real and this has been amazing thank you i'm so uh thankful i'm so grateful for you being here and for pouring into the community thank you um positive everybody is going to take away something from your story that's it for this episode thank you again for lending us your ears It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking, sharing, and following us on our social media pages. The links are all in the show notes. We have so many exciting projects and ventures in store for you. Until next time, keep dreaming. Concrete Pastures